Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. We're looking today at the sermon Peter delivered, the sermon that got him arrested for the first but not the last time in the book of Acts, as he attempts to explain what happened in the healing of the lame man that we read about last week. So a lame man is healed Peter stands up to preach and explain, here's the deal, this was the name of Jesus, and this sermon gets broken off in the middle as the temple guards walk right up in the middle of the sermon, cuff him, and lead him away. So we're going to see, of course, why this sermon would get Peter arrested. It seems to me that the best outline for the sermon is that first line of Psalm 115, not unto us. But to your name, give glory. So we'll talk about that. But pay attention to that outline as we read the text starting in verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses." And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. So the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and then he may send the Christ who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. And it shall come to pass that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquity. And they knock him down. Right now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, laid hands on them, and put them in custody until the next day. And so don't forget that this is the kind of sermon that would get you arrested in first century Jerusalem. You don't understand the sermon if you don't know why the people listening to it said, I think the cops are going to be here any minute. This is not the kind of thing that you can stand here and say. Let's pray. Father, 
We ask that you would give us the guts to say the truth, the things we have seen and heard, even at risk of getting arrested, even at risk of offending powerful people and temple guards. Lord, we thank you for the boldness of Peter and John, ignorant laymen who never went to a theological institution and yet had been with Jesus. We thank you for the notable sign done in the presence of the whole crowd. And we thank you above all for the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which through faith in that name healed this man and gave him perfect soundness in the presence of everyone. Father, help us to believe in your name and to glorify your name by repentance. Help us to your name to give the glory. We pray in the name of Jesus, our risen Savior. Amen. We saw last time that this, the first miracle in Acts, is about leaping over temple boundaries. Luke mentions once that the man was lame, but he mentions the temple six times in ten verses. And emphasizes very strongly that the man is outside the gate, unable to go in, and sat outside the gate for years And then Peter and John come along, heal him in Jesus' name, and he goes into the temple with them. This man is now in the temple, and Peter is charged with explaining what just happened. So Peter's message is not to us, not to me and John, but to God's name, and then he explains a lot about God's name, who God is, what God has done in his son Jesus Christ, of Nazareth and how the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus has healed this man. And then he winds up with the charge, give glory. Glorify the name of Christ by repentance. So the crowd gathers, verse 11, all the people ran together. Spectacle draws the crowd, but the gospel keeps them there. We could do all kinds of silly stunts, and some churches do. I could ride in on a motorcycle down the central aisle. That's not what we're here for. Nor are we here to watch people get healed. Other churches go in for that. Peter healed the man, yes. But most of what he did then was stand up and say the kind of thing that would get you arrested, and then end with him getting arrested. So Peter, as soon as he says... As soon as he sees the crowd, sees that they're eager to know what happened, he starts with, not unto us. Not to us, not to us. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? You think this is spectacular? You have no idea how magnificent the gospel I'm about to proclaim is. You think a guy who couldn't walk for 40 years getting healed is impressive? then you don't even know how amazing the saving work of Jesus Christ is. We can imagine a contemporary evangelist healing the man and then saying, you just saw what I can do. I would like to invite you to make a tax-deductible contribution to Simon Peter Ministries International, Inc. Here's our Venmo. Here's our 1-800 number. Here's our website. Here's our credit card machine. Here's our offering plate. Peter doesn't say that. It's not, here's my power as Simon Peter of Simon Peter Ministries. 
It's, this is about the name of Jesus. Yes, if you exercise real spiritual power, the crowd will be amazed and stunned and ready to eat out of your hand and throw money at you. No question about it. And that, of course, is what Peter and John had exercised, real spiritual power for the healing of this man. And should the Lord do some, use real spiritual power in your life, how will you handle that? When the crowd is ready to worship at your footstool, when people are very impressed in telling you what a magnificent human being you are, will you have the guts to say with Peter and John, not to us, not to us? Or will you eat it all up with a big spoon, right? Ministers, we ministers love to take it personally. Oh, they joined the church. That's because they recognized my wonderful charisma. Oh, they left the church. That's because I unwittingly said something offensive because I'm not everything I should be as a pastor. We Christians love to take it personally too. I was trying to witness to my neighbor and they cut me off. Was it something I said? Did I wear the wrong color tie? Did I? Peter and John don't take it personally. Spiritual power that God chooses to exercise through you, spiritual gifts that God chooses to exercise through you are not a referendum on your own power or godliness. That's what the apostles say. This was not our own power or godliness that made this man walk. Don't look at us and say, oh, wow, those are the men. I'm going to follow them, my new Messiah. not a referendum on you. If you do, right, if you led somebody to the Lord this past week, praise God, and I literally mean that, right? Praise God, don't praise you. Don't say, wow, I must be quite a fellow. I led somebody to the Lord this week. The sermon that's all about glorifying the name of Jesus can't be built on a platform that's all about glorifying the name of me. You can't impress your children with Jesus by making them impressed with you. You can't point your co-workers to the glory of Christ by trying to light up your own glory. You see what a wonderful person I am? All of this comes from Jesus. Peter and John didn't attract and wallow in the glory didn't bask in the shame, refused to take it personally, said, not unto us. God helped the healed man. The name of Jesus healed this man. That's tremendous. Praise God. Don't praise Peter. If you want people to see the power and glory of God, don't tell them to look at your power and glory. Not unto us. Peter immediately moves from this not unto us, not my power, not my godliness, the God of Abraham. And that's how he starts the sermon. And that's how he ends it. The God of Abraham, verse 13, the covenant God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, verse 25, even though the sermon got ended by the cops, 
It's a sermon that's intricately structured within this frame of God and His promise that Peter mentions at the beginning and the end of the sermon. Just as God calls to Moses out of the burning bush and introduces Himself with the words, I am the God of your Father, so Peter introduces the Almighty here with the phrase, the God of your fathers. In fact, the God of our fathers. Maybe deliberately pulling off the burning bush episode. You know this God. He's the God of your fathers. He's the God of Abraham. He starts and ends with that. And in the middle, he puts God's promise through the prophets. Verse 18 God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets. So we have the God of our fathers, the God who is the God of Abraham, the God who entered a covenant with Abraham to belong to him, to be God to you, Abraham, and to your seed after you. Those promises God made with Abraham around 1965 B.C. roughly, somewhere in the 1900s or 1800s B.C. that God made those promises to Abraham, Those are still alive and well, Peter says. Your sons of Abraham, your sons of the covenant which God made with the fathers, so listen to how he kept those promises. That's the frame. And in the middle of this frame is a picture. The frame is God and his promise to Abraham and the prophets. Inside the frame is the picture. And what does the picture show? Shows that Jesus is prophesied and glorified and that he heals. Within the frame of God's promise comes the picture of Jesus Christ. And it's a high contrast picture. Peter deliberately makes the blacks very dark and the whites very light. I was reading the other day about uh, Pixar's supercharged projector they have one in their studio that's so bright it can burn your eyes when you watch it on the screen we've supercharged it by 600 percent the pixar engineers told the reporter who was there in the studio looking at this thing that projector right the best television set ever made shows the blackest blacks and the brightest whites peter is trying to show us a picture on that Pixar projector, one that's so over-contrasted in a certain sense that we have to look away. And one, of course, therefore, that results in him getting arrested because what's the first contrast that he draws? Well, it's between God's treatment of Jesus and the crowd's treatment of Jesus. God glorified Jesus. You denied him. Now, in the previous sermon, Peter mentions this. He gives it half a verse. You killed Jesus. Now, that's a point. He doesn't fail to make that point. He makes it, but then he moves on. But here in this sermon, in chapter 3, he gives it three whole verses. He says it over and over and over. You killed Jesus. But God glorified him. Your behavior is the opposite of God's. What does it mean to glorify someone? 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. To glorify someone is to talk up their good points, to linger over how wonderful they are. And of course, to deny a person is the opposite of that. It's to, to distance oneself. Oh, don't affiliate me with him. They're not my Messiah. We have no king but Caesar. God glorified him. God did everything to make Jesus look good, and you, crowd, you denied him. You delivered him up, right? You betrayed him, you handed him over, you denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Peter is laying it on thick here. Number one, your actions are the opposite of God's. God glorified Jesus, you denied him. Number two, you're worse than your least favorite politician. You don't like Pontius Pilate? You think he's a terrible procurator of Judea? Which we know the Jews did. Constantly tried to get rid of him. He was still, of course, sitting in his palace down the street at this moment when Peter is preaching this sermon. He's not an ex-politician. He hasn't fallen off the national radar. Peter says, as much as you hate Pilate, Pilate was going to do a better job than you. So number one, you're out doing the opposite of God. Number two, you're worse than your least favorite politician. Number three, you chose a murderer. You denied the Holy One and just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Laying it on pretty thick. Not, you killed Jesus, but God has forgiveness for that. No, it's you killed Jesus. You did the opposite of God. You're worse than Pilate. You chose a murderer over the prince of life. You chose death rather than life. Somebody who makes people whole, who fulfills the feast of first fruits and puts an end to the cycle of death and rebirth. You rejected him and picked Barabbas? Some terrorist? I just saw a headline this week. A bunch of French terrorists, their prison terms from the early aughts are coming to an end. And the French are saying, can we let these people out? Is this a good idea? But they let Barabbas out. Rather than have Jesus be freed. So you put to death the author of life. Number four. This is a crime so bad that God had to raise him from the dead. Right, that's the crowning or the nadir, the lowest point, the worst thing they could do. All of us in here have sinned. All of us have done some pretty reprehensible things. But none of us would say, the thing I did was so bad that God Almighty had to come along behind me and fix it. Right, parents, sometimes your kids make a mess bad enough that you say, kid is never going to handle this. I'm going to have to get in there and clean that up. Now God has set up this world in such a way that generally He lets us 
go along in our sin. And the human race has to deal with its own problems. But these people, the first century Judeans, made such a grievous error in putting Christ to death that God came along and undid it. You killed him, God raised him from the dead. This error was so bad that it could not be allowed to linger. It had to be set right within the week. Within three days, actually. Is it any wonder that Peter got arrested? He didn't give them just one point, or two points, or three points on how awful they were. He gave them five points, three verses, on their nastiness. Right, the high contrast picture between the righteousness of God and making everything go right for Jesus and the evil of these people whom Peter's trying to evangelize in destroying Jesus. Right, what do we want to say? Peter, what kind of a psychologist are you? You can't convert people by bashing them over the head with how rotten they are. They don't want to come join a movement that wins them by saying, you are more evil than the most evil politician you can think of. Why does Peter do this high contrast picture? Well, because he's going to offer forgiveness. He's going to offer their sins to be wiped out. And therefore, he can describe the sins, paint them as black as he wants, as black as they really are, because the sin is not the end of the story. This is what you did to Jesus. Peter lobs incendiary shell after incendiary shell into the crowd. I'm guessing, you know, based on the size of the temple, that already by the end of verse 15, maybe by the end of verse 16, he starts to see some activity on the edges of the crowd. That there's a few of the temple police gathering here and there and starting to eye him in a way that doesn't look good. So keep that in mind. Peter says, you killed the prince of life and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. Why didn't he start the sermon there? You want to know why the man is leaping around in the temple? The name of Jesus healed him. No, he has to go back and say, Jesus came, you killed him, you denied him, you handed him over, you asked for a murderer instead, you did worse than Pilate, you killed the prince of life, and he healed like this anyway. We saw him raised from the dead, now we've seen him heal. What's the name of Jesus? Jesus, right? The name of Jesus is more than that. The name of Jesus is everything that he is. It's shorthand for his character and power. The name of Jesus healed this man. Through faith in his name, Peter says. Whose faith? He doesn't say whether it was the man who was healed, whether it was the faith of Peter and John in Jesus to heal, whether it was the faithfulness of Christ in obeying his Father. He doesn't get into that. Because the point is not to point to the man and say, here is somebody with tremendous faith. 
Would you all take a look at this healed man? You've never seen such great faith. No, not in Israel. He doesn't say that. He skims right over the faith just to say, yes, you've got to believe in Jesus. But he doesn't specify who had the faith because the emphasis is not on the faith that receives the healing. The emphasis is on the power that does the healing. Through faith in his name, this man stands before you. He has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. So that's the man. He's better. He's healed through the powerful, wonder-working name of Jesus. And yet now, brethren, now he lets him off the hook a little bit. A second contrast. Now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance. Now that's not letting somebody all the way off the hook. You don't know anything. So I can't blame you as much as if you did know something. And yes, that's a legitimate part of evangelism. To say, you didn't know. Here you've lived your whole life without Jesus, and yes, you didn't know who He was. You were ignorant. Your rulers were ignorant. And of course, Paul makes the same point. None of the rulers of this age understood this. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now that seems odd because the rest of the New Testament makes it sound like in some level they really did understand. But they did not fully understand. Peter goes back to accusing them of ignorance. And he draws the contrast specifically between their ignorance and the prophet's witness. Those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Now that's a little bit of a slam. You were ignorant, but if you had read the prophets, you wouldn't be so ignorant. Kenny and Marley, stop. You were ignorant. You didn't know. But you could have known. You could have read the prophets. Prophets say Christ is going to suffer. All the prophets say it. They've been saying it from the beginning of time. Some of you have had to chew out somebody for ignorance. I set you to do this job. I explained to you how to do this job. And it appears that you didn't know how to do the job. But you could have. I told you how to do it. It's not as bad to be ignorant as it is to be murderous. Peter's already called them murderous. Now he calls them ignorant. And he says the prophets describe the sufferings of Christ. But here's the good news. Despite your ignorance, God has kept His promises. Despite your murderous habits and attitudes, God has done what He said He would do. He has thus fulfilled. Give glory to His name. He kept His promises. He said He would come to deliver you. He did. He said that He would send His Messiah to save the world. He did. However you sinned, God has kept His promises 
to you. So what's the response that Peter recommends to the crowd? Repent, therefore. A once for all turning around. Turn from sin to God. Repent and be converted that your sins may be wiped away. If you have any sin in your heart, any lustful thoughts, any rotten words, any wrong thoughts, any lack of love for the Lord your God, cast it out. Turn away from sin. I told you how rotten you are, but I'm going to offer you this chance to have your sins wiped away. And all the commentators say that in that day, ink didn't have acid in it that allowed it to bite into the surface of the papyrus. And so, you could write on a papyrus, and then if you took a wet sponge, even after the ink was dry, you could wipe it right off. It wasn't like our modern ink that cuts its way into the surface of the paper just a little bit. Your sins will be wiped away. Washed off as though they were never there. That's why we can preach to people about their sin. Modern psychology has no solution for guilt. All it can say is, well, you're not really guilty. But the gospel says, no, you really are guilty. But we can change that. Jesus can change that. Christ can wipe away your sin. And this is better. This is a perfect wiping away. Children, do you ever use an eraser? What happens after you erase pencil? Is there still a mark there? Peter is saying the mark is gone. The pencil, the ink has vanished. You are pristine and clean if you repent. Repentance is merely the instrumental cause of forgiveness. The death of Christ is the material cause. God himself is the efficient cause. Peter is not saying as long as you repent, you're forgiven because repentance wipes away sin. He's saying, no, God will wipe away your sins when you turn from them to him. And when you do that, times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. What are these times of refreshing? Seems to be a reference to this gospel age. When the good news about Jesus advances from place to place, as people are delivered from superstition, idolatry, tyranny, and false gods, by the liberating power of the gospel of Christ. You have to free people from sin. People who are trapped in guilt can't be free. But this refreshment comes from the presence of the Lord to those who repent and have their sins wiped out. No longer do they walk in guilt and shame. They walk in freedom and joy. And finally, when enough people repent, God will send His Christ who is the Messiah appointed to you. Jesus will return if enough of y'all repent. That's Peter's message. And the New Testament repeats that in other places. This gospel of the kingdom must first be preached in every nation under heaven and then the end will come. Truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before you see the Son of Man coming. Jesus says. 
How do we bring about the end of the world? We preach to everybody. And that's what Peter is trying to do. He hasn't left Jerusalem yet. He's still there. He's going to go out later in this book. But he says, when people repent, Jesus will return. Not unto us, but to God's name, give glory. Give glory by repenting. Give glory by telling people about repentance. Do you want God's Christ to come? Then repent and encourage everyone you know to repent. And then we'll see Jesus. The healing was about his name. It was about showing who he is. And when enough people see that, he'll come back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the repentance unto life that you have granted to so many of us. We pray for those who might be here or those here who might not know you rather. Lord, we pray that you would show them, open their eyes to give them repentance. Father, we pray further for the gospel to be preached in every nation under heaven. Give us wisdom as a church in how we support missionaries. Send out some of us as missionaries, we pray, if that would be your will. We pray for the gospel to be preached everywhere under heaven. We thank you for the times of refreshing that they are here direct from your presence. And we pray for the Christ, the Messiah, appointed first of all for the Jewish people, but also for the whole world. Lord, we pray that he would come back and save us from this perverse generation. Lord, help us to look forward to that with longing. Help us not to be afraid to preach in a way that would get us arrested as we declare about the evil of those who sin. That's all human beings, but also the salvation that's for them in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in His name. Amen.